0: Shining brightly wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Blue Apron. Gamefly, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff kanata which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I am without my usual co-host this week, but never fear. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kannada. But this week, DLC stands for Destiny Loves Company because I have assembled the perfect fire team to discuss the biggest release of last week and also to hold down the fort while Christian is away. First up, you know her from Kind of Funny and the awesome new What's Good Games, and hopefully from her many appearances on this show, our friend, Ms. Andrea Renee, is back with us. Hey, Andrea.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Jeff, I'm always so impressed that you come up with the cutest monikers for DLC. Every time I'm on, like, you never fail to come up with something like super clever.
0: Aw, thank you for saying that. It's uh, something I spend way more time on than I should. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that is not our only guest this week. No, no, no. We have uh, another of the perfect people to talk about, Destiny. You know him from Game Rant, from Film Fracture. He's our go-to guy here at DLC and our resident Destiny superfan Anthony Towermina
2: welcome back how you doing buddy it's good to be here i uh as we established last time i am david west i'm just here for the championship <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly uh i'm excited we you know christian is uh, is off traveling he will be checking in he sent a uh A very lengthy file, actually, much longer than I anticipated, uh, of his thoughts about Destiny 2. So you'll be able to hear those uh, at the end of the show if you want to hear Christian's take on the game and what he's been playing. But I'm excited to talk to you guys because you two are two of the biggest Destiny fans that I know. And uh, that's going to be a big thrust of what we talk about. But that's not all that we're talking about this week. Of course, we're going to start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is five x five dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks there hanging out, talking about games, talking about the show. Highly recommend you give them a visit as well. Join the discussion. Um, let's start with Andrea. Ladies first, um, with Story of the Week. Uh, it's a uh, interesting week of stories. What would you consider to be your favorite among them?
1: Um, you, you know, it's, uh, it's tough because you have, um, you have a couple things on here that are definitely interesting, but, um, one of the stories that I was looking at and I, I'm realizing now I probably should have asked you before we went live if you want to talk about it, but the whole, um fair use issue that has come up with YouTubers recently has been something that is on my brain as somebody who makes content and has been making digital video video content with the use of video game art and um music and everything else that comes along with those creations as something that I'm very excited that developers give me permission to use and how some, you know, creators out there feel super entitled to use it and that's just not the case. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think maybe you're you're bringing this up in reference to um to the Firewatch uh, thing with uh, with PewDiePie. Is that is correct? Yeah. Campo
1: Santos, yeah, has filed a DMCA takedown of their of the Firewatch content that is on his channel, and it's been an interesting discussion over the last couple of days of people saying, "Oh, is this an abuse of of this power? Does he have the right to use it?" and the kind of um, you know comments and stuff that are flying around is making for i think a, a an enlightening conversation for some people who maybe aren't familiar with what the law is regarding you know dmCA and you know fair use I think that's a
0: great way into the conversation um and i'm I'm glad you're bringing it up that way because um you know it is it is gotten pretty depressing to to watch from from my perspective of some of the rhetoric that's been going on on both sides but i love I love this way into the conversation. Basically to catch people up if you're not familiar with what's going on, uh, Pewdiepie who is the world's biggest youtuber uh, has what 51 million subscribers or something crazy like that and uh, multi multimillionaire as a result um, basically makes his living by playing other people's art <laughs> and and uh, product uh, and uh, has unfortunately revealed himself to be a pretty crappy guy in a lot of uh, situations, including, um, uh, repeatedly using racist epithets and, and kind of disgusting language while he's playing. And one in particular recently, he was doing a video that he was playing, um, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and, uh, used a word that he had no right using and no one should. Uh, and as a result, um, Campos Santos released a, uh, statement saying, hey, we're going to, disallow this guy from posting videos for our games because we can't just, we can't stand by and let somebody put that kind of garbage into the world uh, on the back of our content. And that got, of course, a huge backlash. Uh, if you read the comments, which I unfortunately did, the the responses to that announcement on Twitter from Campos Santos, they're really horrifying to be honest with you. Um, and so there's been a debate on both sides, but I like, I like your way into it about, You know, this is it really is something that's larger than just this moment, as you as you pointed out. It is really about the the content of of a a bunch of people who are making a lot of money riding on the back of the content of other people who may be making less money. (laughs) You know, that you might be actually making more money than the people whose content is required for you to even do what you do. So, you know, if if a game sells X number of copies and makes X number of dollars and this guy is, is you know, and we, I shouldn't say this guy, we, we, we are all doing that kind of thing as well. This show is about other people's content. Um, but if you are watching someone else play a video game and not buying that video game but giving the dollars of the joy of that video game to the person that you're watching play it rather than the people who made it, is that something that – is illegitimate, is is something that the, the, the creator has a right to complain about. What's your stance on this, Andrea? Uh,
1: so for people who maybe haven't heard the term DMCA before, that stands for Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So basically, my stance is the people who own the intellectual property that's being used um, have full legal rights to give or take away their permission. So my stance is that Campo Santos is completely within their legal right to withdraw permission from PewDiePie to continue using their content. And people are on the internet are upset because they think that Campo Santos is doing this, um, abusing that system. And I'm like, no, they're, they're not abusing it. They've just decided that they want to no longer give him permission to use their content. They are, they are 100% allowed to do so. Now, is it the right thing to do? I mean, I think that's up for debate. I think, yes, it is, because if I was a creator and I didn't agree with the way that somebody was using my content, then I would go to that person and say, hey, you know what? This wasn't what we agreed to when I gave you permission to use my content. So I'm going to withdraw that permission and ask you to take that video down. I don't think that that's unreasonable. Yeah. I think that, you know, I agree that we shouldn't get bogged down into you know, his actions and how despicable they are. I don't think that's the argument here. I think we need to remember that video games are a medium that we are so lucky to be able to use as digital video creators. Now, I think there's also an argument to be made about how certain creators promote and establish and um, kind of uh, stoke the flame for communities online. I know this argument came up when Nintendo kind of widespread, stopped letting creators make money off of their content and instead claimed the monetization. So Nintendo will allow you to have their video content on YouTube, but they're going to profit off of it and you can no longer make revenue off of the ads served on those videos, which is a different way to go about it. So Nintendo's not saying we're taking it down. They're just saying we're going to take the monetization and earn the money on our content that you make, which is almost a little bit worse in some ways. <laughs> um, But uh, I just – this argument just keeps coming up and I think it's unfair to the people who make these games to say that you have a right to use them because it's fair use. And that just to me is gross. I want people to appreciate the hard work that goes into making these games and understand that your livelihood is dependent on their livelihood. And when they don't agree with what you're doing with it, that they have every right to to tell you to take it down.
0: Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of issues here that I think um uh, passive viewers of this can confuse easily, and I think that's why it's a tough thing to talk about because a lot of things get all mushed up into one big thing. But it's also a unfortunate week for Christian not be here as our sort of resident former attorney who could speak to the legal legalities of this in a in a more professional way, but I would say that I think a great analogy is you know, you, you go into a store and it says, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. And that's sort of just this blanket statement that says, it doesn't matter why we're doing it. It, it We just have that right. We we can say, hey, you know what? Not, no, you didn't wear a shirt. Uh, we don't really want to serve you. Or you're being loud and obnoxious. We don't want to serve you. That is the right of the purveyor of that store. So in a, in a sense, that's kind of what Campo Santos is declaring is, hey, we said – Anybody could use our thing and we welcome streamers streaming Firewatch and our other games or whatever we want to do in the future. But you know what? We we changed our mind because we reserve the right to refuse that to anybody based on the association of our game with something we find repugnant. I think that there, I think that's a pretty reasonable stance to make and a lot of people are like oh you're hypocrites because you're you know you're you like it when people promote your games but when some you know but here's this guy promoting your game making you lots of money because all the exposure you're getting i don't none of that matters none of that is relevant it's all about the fact that they've drawn this line it's an arbitrary line and that's well within their purview to do you can draw an arbitrary line so be it they are in complete control. And honestly, if you notice, uh, PewDiePie took down his playthrough of Firewatch almost immediately. And I don't think it's any skin off his nose, unfortunately, because I, I worry that this doesn't change any of his behavior. But I hope it's a, a sea change. I hope people do uh, require a, a level of decorum associated with their games. And certainly Nintendo wouldn't put up with something like this. Um, Anthony, what's, what's your take on all of this?
2: I agree with what you've both been saying as far as, um you know, it, it is in Campo Santo's right to determine, you know, who they want to represent their content, um, who they want to represent their games, promote their games. You know, I don't know what the agreement may have been between them. I know PewDiePie is a huge YouTuber, so there may have been more than what an average content creator got as far as um playing the game. Uh, I think it's a, it's a it's an interesting territory to be in because I think that content creation, as far as like streaming and and using YouTube and other um, services, is in its relative infancy. So we really are kind of navigating this waters, and everything is changing. Because I think that though PewDiePie is sort of like the face of of this, as far as he does. Uh, things that are are very kind of like uh, upsetting and and lead to these controversies pretty regularly there are plenty of people that do stream and they play uh, you know a game that is provided to them and they have the you know the right representation they say ad or paid but then they play other games and their streams are you know not the best you know there there aren't rules on twitch about certain things that you can't and can't say so you know, you have a lot of developers sort of benefiting from people when they when it serves them best and content creators benefiting and then this issue of deciding like, okay, well maybe this isn't the best situation for us to be represented by, them, by these people. And so I think the, I don't know, the larger repercussion will be whether or not other developers that have stuff coming out in the future decide okay, well we don't want PewDiePie to represent our game. Because I feel like you know, at the end of the day, Firewatch came out, I think PewDiePie and Campo Santo benefited from whatever content PewDiePie put out and now, you know, the benefit is over. And so this is more just kind of like a symbolic representation and it'll be interesting to see you know, in the future if I don't know, an Assassin's Creed or a Call of Duty or something like that. If they say, "Hey, we're not going to provide PewDiePie with anything." Yeah. And if he does use our content or or put up any videos, we're going to take them down because we don't want somebody like that representing us and it negatively impacts him like right out of the gate. Um, but yeah, yeah obviously I, it's bad. I'm not I'm not
0: I'm not entirely certain that any anything is going to ha- I just watched a uh, a gymquisition a a video this morning about the the two knuckleheads that were the big uh, YouTube guys that got caught for promoting uh, the Counter-Strike skin gambling. And then it was discovered oh, that yeah. they actually owned stake in the company that they were promoting and didn't reveal it. And uh, the Jim Sterling points out in that video that literally nothing happened to them. They had literally no fallout from that. There was some a, a blip of bad PR and people were upset online. And then it went away and no repercussions. They still have massive followings. They still make tons of money. The, the broader thing that if I find so depressing uh, about all of this is how people seem to be drawn to the worst people. (laughs) I don't know why these, these, these guys uh, have such huge followings. Like what, what is it about this? Is it the taboo behavior? The, the sort of brash, thing that, that they're able to say to a large audience that, that I can't say in my real life that is so attractive to young viewers. I I find it very disheartening that these guys find such huge audiences and turn out to be such bad actors in, in, in that space. And it, it, it is, it's, it, it's one of those things that really gets me down about this community and about the state of affairs in modern popular culture as we know it right now. It is it is very hard for me to maintain a a positive attitude in the face of the community that seems to build around these people. So, it's well, hard. I think
1: I, I don't want you to get too sad about it because I think ultimately what it comes down to a lot and the. the me saying this out loud is sad in itself is just ignorance. Like there's been times when I have played in online parties and multiplayer games and someone from my clan will bring in somebody new that I've never played before. And most of the guys that I play with know that I'm pretty selective about not playing with complete strangers online for a variety of reasons. Um, but they'll bring somebody in and then they'll start saying things in the chat. And I I, I have to be the, the bad cop who's like, hey man, like – Maybe don't use that word when we're playing. Maybe, like, don't do that. Also, like, hey, just know (laughs) that you saying that isn't cool, bro. Like, find somebody, some some other way to express what you're trying to say right now. And I'm always surprised by how often they come back and are like, oh, sorry. I just, I wasn't even thinking about it. I just, it just came out of my mouth. And I'm like, cool. I'm here to tell you that you should think about it, especially if you're in a group of mixed company or maybe just in general, maybe just in life. Don't say things like that. Like it's – and it's always so shocking to me how sometimes these people just don't realize like what they say is just like wildly inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to give them a pass. I'm just saying like I think the, the, the discussion needs to be like these aren't bad people. Like the guys that I'm playing with aren't bad dudes. They just probably haven't had someone in their life that has told them, you know what? Like that's not cool, bro. Well, that's or, the problem,
0: right? Isn't that, that's kind of the problem I'm talking about is yeah. that they have actually quite the opposite. They have these role models who have millions of followers and millions of viewers of their streams showing them the worst kind of behavior and tacitly giving it permission. You know, it's like that, that's why they do that. That's why you see, you know, people in your own games behaving that way. It's because you know, they, they think that's the way you behave. And it, it bums me out when people with a platform or the the fact that people get a platform by behaving that way, who knows, that's kind of chicken and egg. Right. But I, I don't know, it, it's a bummer and I appreciate what you're saying. And I, and I'm not trying to be, you know, a negative Nancy about this. I do think that self-policing is a lot of the solution and I, it is up to each of us to, you know, have our own boundaries and say, you know, be good to other people, make the world a better place. It's, it's not hard. It's not hard to be decent. Uh, I don't know why that's become such a difficult thing. I, my own position is, I think, um, <laughs> kindness is, is the new punk rock, you know, wholesome is punk rock because being snarky and mean and snide and crass, that is the most mainstream boring thing you could be being wholesome and kind, that's punk rock. That's counterculture as far as I'm concerned. So uh, hopefully it catches on. All right. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up, Andrea. I really – I wasn't going to bring it up because it, it bums me out so much, but I'm glad you did. I think we had a good conversation about it and hopefully our audience um, will, will, you know, contribute and, and give me some more solace in, in uh, feeling better about the world. It's been a rough week uh, and it's been a rough year. It's been a rough decade, <laughs> you know? Um Anthony, how about you? What is your story of the week?
2: I'm going to take the first one. I was a huge fan of L.A. Noir, uh, when it came out originally on Last Generation, and it's re-releasing on PS4, Xbox One, and uh, apparently and Switch. So you know, lots of more opportunities to play a game that I think uh, flew under a lot of people's radar. Wasn't their cup of tea. Uh, it's. I think it's excellent. I think it's. It's a really, it's different. It has that rock star kind of like we're willing to, uh, take on something a little different. It has some really unexpected elements. It has that facial technology. I don't know if that's really going to hold up, um, compared to, you know, now we have things like, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and, and Uncharted and, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries uh, of things like that, so it it may not hold up. But I think it's a really good game, and I'm happy that people will have um more opportunities to play it. And then, you know, there's the VR element for you, Jeff, that it's pretty exciting, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll get into that shortly. But let's
0: talk about la noir. um it comes out what November fourteenth it's being re-released. so that's that's pretty cool pretty soon. And as you said, um, it has updated uh, resolutions on textures and updated graphics on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, Pro and X, respectively, will get 4K uh, support. And the Switch is getting um, kind of fun control features like uh, gyroscopic gesture-based controls and HD rumble. Uh, which is kind of interesting. It's going to be actually more expensive than the other two versions, which is interesting as well. Uh, but the idea of the Switch getting a big Rockstar game is is kind of cool, and this was a, a big game. Andrea, did you play uh, L.A. Noire back in 2011 when it was released?
1: Jeff Kanata, Let's take a trip down memory lane together, <laughs> shall we? When We were in a garage with Alex Albright one time. And we were shooting a show called – what was the name of that show you used to do?
0: (laughs) The Totally Rad Show? Is that the one? That would
1: be the one. I was sitting there with you two lovely gentlemen and we were talking about L.A. Noir. And I told you that I fell asleep three times (laughs) playing that game. (laughs) I remember that.
0: Yes. (laughs) Now that you mention it, I do remember you saying that. Also, Uh, I think I
1: said Alex's name wrong, so I'm sorry for that. Um, Listen. This game was fine. It was totally just fine. <laughs> I think, mean,
0: we... Think of how easy it's going to be for you to fall asleep with the Switch in your hand. You could be in I much know. more comfortable places.
1: <laughs> I know. So, like, when I heard this story... So, this was a leak for, like, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We were talking about this. And I was like, why, of all the games in Rockstar's amazing repertoire of fantastic video games, would they pick L.A. Noir to be the one that they're going to bring back the first? Um, so, I... I I, Okay. The original game, a lot of people have mixed feelings on. It did really well critically. Some people really loved this game, as Anthony has seen He was a fan of the game. And some people like me were like, meh, eh, didn't really do it for me. Um, It coming to VR makes sense. It's the type of game that I think could translate really well into virtual reality. It coming to Switch doesn't... I don't really understand, but sure, I think it opens the door for Rockstar to bring other games to Switch, which makes people excited. I mean, if they're bringing Skyrim to Switch, I see no reason why they couldn't bring GTA 5 to Switch and continue that game's amazing reign across the globe. So, I think this is perfectly fine. Am I personally excited for it? Not really, because as I mentioned, it wasn't a, a, a big thing for me back in the day, but, um... Cool. Cool story, bro. That's
0: awesome. (laughs) I think I disagreed with you back then. I think I I, I really liked this game up until you get to the arson unit. I felt like the game should have ended after the Black Dahlia stuff. But um, I I think it's cool that a lot of people will be able to play this. I do think the VR stuff – well, of course, you know, for me, it's got me very excited – it it doesn't seem like it's going to be the game in VR. It's its own thing. If they're calling it La Noire, the VR case files, and it's also interesting that it's only going to be released for Vive. No Oculus support. No PlayStation VR support. Uh, I wonder why that is. But I'm very curious to see how this plays in VR because for the longest time, when people are like, "Oh, what what is your your like dream VR game?" and I've always been referencing L.A. noir as a thing of like, you know, it'd be cool to be able to sit across the table and stare into the eyes of a VR character and feel like you're in the same place and you're the same size and you have to read their emotion and you can talk to them and they can talk to you. And oh, like L.A. Noir, you know, L.A. Noire, you did that. Um, so if they, if they handle it that way, if you're, if you're kind of dealing with that uh, interrogation stuff from that game in, in VR, I think that'll be really cool. I'm a little worried that it's going to be a bit like um, the Batman Arkham VR game, where you're at a place and you have to scan things and look for clues, and you're looking underneath things to find clues. That could also be interesting, but I think a little less interesting than what I'm envisioning, which is a lot of character interaction. So it remains to be seen what these are exactly—if they're like just snippets of the bigger game, or if their own, if they are their own, you know, unique. Original content, what what exactly it is, but color me intrigued and uh, and and you know excited excited. Um, I am going to use as my uh, story of the week uh, the announcement from Wizards of the Coast of a new version of Magic the Gathering that will be digital. Uh, but Jeff, you say there are lots of digital versions of Magic the Gathering, yes. Wizards of the Coast is aware of that but they also see this game called Hearthstone that has taken over the world and is really popular on Twitch and it makes you know lots of people excited and makes lots of money for Blizzard and they go hey we we've, we've have the game the prototypical of that let's maybe streamline our game and create something that works better as a digital game and works better as a viewable streamable game. Uh, In fact, they were explicit in saying that. They said um, their goal with this new Magic the Gathering called uh, Magic the Gathering Arena is to be fast-paced, exciting, and easy to follow. They said they want to create the deepest, richest digital card game on the market and for it to be as much fun to watch as it is to play. So they're, they're clearly going, we want to be Hearthstone because we were Hearthstone before Hearthstone was Hearthstone. And now we're not Hearthstone anymore. Um, I, I'm, my question to you guys, Anthony, I'll ask, ask you first. Did they miss the boat already? Is this too little, too late? Can they reinvent? Uh, Magic the Gathering. Enough. I mean, Magic the Gathering isn't hurting. It's making lots of money as a physical game. So it's not like this thing is is you know old news. It, it it still is a very powerful IP and a very powerful property. But as a digital game, it is you know far behind Hearthstone in popularity. Do you think they've already missed the boat, or can they reinvent themselves and catch up and become something cool online?
2: Oh, they've one hundred percent missed the boat. <laughs> I, I think that there there should be a rule in the world of video game development that once Blizzard enter enters a genre is it's done. It's over. <laughs> yeah, you know, because there are there are so many. You know, Blizzard might be slow to get involved in something, but there are so many genres where they're popular. They have all these games, you know. There, are, there have been so many collectible card games, collectible card games, digital card games. Then Hearthstone came out, and maybe Hearthstone wasn't going to be the most popular. I would say that it is, um, but it entered, and now anything else after it, like look at Elder Scrolls Legends, you know that enters, and everyone goes, well, there's Hearthstone. <laughs> you know the, they put out Overwatch, and then uh, Gearbox comes out with Battleborn, and people go, well, Overwatch is is more appealing. You know there's I feel just like you have to understand that once Blizzard is in a space, even if they haven't, if they haven't dominated it, then somebody else is dominating and you're competing with somebody that's doing even better than Blizzard and that's insane. So what are you doing?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you could say that uh, Magic the Gathering is to Hearthstone as EverQuest is to World of
2: Warcraft, right? It's like EverQuest was never the same after. Uh, yeah, I, you could make the argument, oh yes, Magic has been doing this before, it has all these things, but it, it doesn't matter. Blizzard entered the space, pushed you out. Well, Andrea, what do you think
0: about this? I mean, uh, a part of their statement is that um, they said another key goal for Magic the Gathering Arena is that tabletop and digital versions will complement one another i mean they have a huge presence at gaming stores and conventions and the physical version of the game still does really really well is that something that they could leverage to you know compete with hearthstone because hearthstone doesn't have that aspect
1: um i you know i wouldn't say it's Competition for Hearthstone. I think they are just providing their existing fan base another way to give them money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I can't fault that. I'm not a Magic the Gathering player, but if I was, I would want a digital version that I could easily take with me somewhere so I don't have to bring my decks everywhere that I go because that can become quite a a task for people who, you know, have really extensive collections of stuff. I think that they clearly have the market on the physical card game because, you know, as you mentioned, they're, like, one of the defining games of that whole genre. But I don't think that this is, like, a versus Hearthstone thing. I think they probably see what Blizzard is doing and took some inspiration and said, hey, it's good to see that somebody else is having success in a genre that they have clearly, you know, kind of created the market for. So, I mean, good for them. I think that that's awesome. I think people who play Magic are going to be into this. And, you know, people that maybe haven't given Magic a go because it was the idea of having a physical set of cards is kind of an undertaking for some people that maybe they'll give it a go. And if they fall in love with it, maybe they'll end up buying the cards.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they do it exactly because, you know, Magic Online has been around for a a long time. And that's sort of the like comprehensive, you know, spreadsheet. Every card that's ever been released since the early 90s is available in there. It's it's this massive, very off-putting, hard to to get if you're not already, you know, a a converted member of the Magic the Gathering community. And the idea here with this one is new players welcome, you know, and and the idea of how they'll streamline it to make it fast-paced and easy to follow. I'm very interested to find the details out of that plan because that's really what, Blizzard did for Hearthstone is they took these type of games and they made them so much simpler you know you don't have to worry about well I have an interrupt here and now it's your turn before me but I can do something before you and uh, it was all very clear and whose turn it was they simplified mana so much you know everything was easier Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if Magic can do that with a game that has as much um, baggage as this one does. So I'm curious to see what the details are of what they're going to do, but I'm hopeful as well. I, I love magic, the gathering and I'd love to play more of it. Um, but I, I definitely have moved over to hearthstone for magic. So we'll see. All right, guys, uh, let's move on and talk about destiny. But first I want to thank our first sponsor, which is blue apron. And If you guys have heard me talk about Blue Apron before, I get a little intense about it because I really don't think anything has changed my life in a more positive way than Blue Apron has. And that sounds like hyperbole, but it's it's genuinely true. It has completely improved every night of my week, (laughs) whether we're cooking the Blue Apron or we're anticipating the Blue Apron or we're having a different meal because we had Blue Apron. Blue Apron has – Become the cornerstone of my wife and I's week. Blue Apron is a fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service. So basically what happens is you get recipes in the mail of really amazing stuff. I mean, this is like restaurant quality, delicious food. And you cook it yourself. But the best thing about it is they give you all the ingredients that you need in exactly the amount that you need them. So you're not going to have extra stuff clogging up your fridge that you feel guilty is going bad over the weeks when you're not using it. Like you would if you were going to go to the store and, you know, buy ingredients for a recipe. And – these meals are delicious. Uh, I, we get excited every week when we see the new meals come in. Uh, here's a couple from this week. A uh, miso butter salmon and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. Sauteed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta. This is delicious stuff. Uh, and it's less expensive than you're gonna find going out and getting comparable meals at the, at the, at, you know, restaurants. You're going to be spending about $10 per person per meal. You get three meals a week. It's so affordable. It's so easy. You get a big variety. I have been a subscriber to uh, Blue Apron for almost three years now. And I think I've had one recipe that has repeated over that entire period. It's awesome. And there's a lot of flexibility. You can customize your recipes every week based on your preferences. You can work around your dietary restrictions. It's so easy. It's so fun. And I'm actually finding... I get better at cooking. I'm much better at chopping things and I enjoy it. I never used to enjoy the idea of cooking. I ate garbage and I spent way more money than I needed and I was wasteful and I hated the whole process and now I love it. I love the process of cooking. I love making food. I love sharing mealtime with my wife because we can sit down and eat a meal that I cooked for us. It it just – it's so much more intimate. It's so much more – Enjoyable, it's healthier because I know what's going into my meals. It has improved my life in so many ways. And I wanted to improve yours. Check it out. Go to blueapron.com/slash dlc. You'll get three meals for free. So you can try it out for free. It's free shipping. It's completely free. Blueapron.com slash dlc. Check it out. See how good it feels, how good it tastes, and how fun it is actually to make your own meals. Uh, a few times a week, you will I, I think you'll get hooked like I did. It's a better way to cook. Blueapron.com slash DLC.
2: Ooh, play this week tell us? Ooh, this week tell us on the playlist?
0: Well, this week is all about Destiny 2, and I have invited uh, two of the biggest Destiny fans I know to tell me about their experience playing Destiny Two, I've been playing a ton of it as well. And uh, not to not to spoil anything, but I think I finally figured out why everybody likes this game.
2: Everybody, <laughs> you 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 finally you tasted the sauce for like a fifteenth time, and you went, "Okay, yeah, all right,
0: yeah." Well, I I want to know what you guys say because you guys both have played way more Destiny the original than I ever did. But I feel like this game improves on the formula a lot, or at least reveals the formula in a much quicker way. Uh, Andrea, you, why don't you start? Tell me what, you, what your take on Destiny 2 is as a big Destiny original player.
1: Well, I um, played – so okay, so original Destiny, I played probably – let's see here uh, – four or five hundred hours of original Destiny –
0: Four or five hundred hours. Yes. Okay. So, That's a lot. So quite a bit. <laughs>
1: um, and I, of course, was super pumped to see that they were making Destiny 2 and that it was coming out. And uh, I logged in as soon as the servers went live and jumped right in. So I immediately noticed um, quite a few things. I have so many thoughts about Destiny 2, Jeff, that I had to create a Word doc to Put all of my thoughts down so I could keep them straight. I have three columns in this document called the bad. 50
0: slide PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Everybody hunker down.
1: Amazing. Yes. Um, So I have the bad, the good, and the give me more. Those are the columns that I have in my document. So where would you like to start?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, let's start with the good. Let's start with positive. We'll go from good to bad, and then we'll go to give me more.
1: Okay, cool. So – The good is, um, it's everything you liked about Destiny, but better. So... That includes a uh, mostly stable online infrastructure in their shared world shooter. It was something that I was always continually impressed with in Original Destiny, how they were able to kind of create this MMO like experience with a first person shooter that where you could run around in this world and your friends could easily jump into your fire team. You could, you know, dance with each other. You could go on Raids together and, like, the online infrastructure just seemed to work really well. I mean, for the majority of the time. Obviously, did they experience some launch day issues? Yes. Are people still having a few technical hiccups? Yes. But overall, it's not, like, fundamentally broken like some games are. So right. that's good. Um, Let me
0: jump in. Let me jump in. I'm, I'm going to – I'll pepper in. And, and, Anthony, feel free to pepper in too. We'll kind of use this as the structure of our discussion. Okay. Um, uh. I, I agree with you. I think that's awesome. And in fact, you listed off like all the cool things you could do in Destiny. And it was like you could – and you said three things. And I felt like oh, that was about <laughs> it. that's about it. And that was me, one of my major uh, criticisms of the first game. And I feel like one of the things that I've locked into with Destiny 2 that I like so much is it feels like there's always something else to do. There's always some cool new other thing I could be doing. And I never felt like that with Destiny. Like the fact that we have this map where – Stuff's just popping up to do. Uh, public events are happening, and I'm like, ooh, I want to jump in on that. That's cool. Or, you know, there's this cool adventure that's going on over here. Or maybe I found a cave, and it's got some cool loot in the box. Like, all that stuff is more MMOE to me, and it was one of the big things I thought was missing from the game in its original form. And, and I am really have locked into, like, that fun loop of just opening up my map and doing something new that's fun.
1: Absolutely, and the fast travel system that they implemented is a huge quality of life improvement over the original game. In, in original Destiny, if I wanted to know where I was going, I had to look up a Google image that somebody from the community made of the map of where I was, because there was no map oh, anywhere. Um, so the fact that they have a map now, they have a fast travel system, so you can pull up the map and see where the public events are. You can fast travel to that area. While you're waiting for the event to start, you can run over and grab a region chest or maybe if you have enough time, you can head into a lost sector and do these little mini dungeons and get some cool loot and fight some enemies. Or once you get to the point in the story where you've unlocked patrols, you know, the patrols are back so i mean i have to say i'm a little i'm a little over the patrols but i have been doing them when my quests require me to (laughs) but uh, they're a nice thing to do to pass time if you're waiting for a public event and um the adventures are really the highlight for me in the content that they've added to destiny as far as open world sandboxy activities to do so those have been really exciting i like how they've really integrated more of the lore of the world of destiny into the adventures and they kind of set up things like there's an adventure for example on nessus that gives you kind of background information that helps set up the lore that's going to occur in the raid that drops later this week Mm -hmm. so if you guys haven't done that yet i recommend you go you go find that on nessus um and yeah, I just, I just really love the world. Anthony, are you, are you, are you enjoying the new activities in Destiny?
2: I've slept like maybe thirteen hours, <laughs> so, and that was just because he played La Noir.
1: Oh, um, a sick person! No,
2: I was a fan of that game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there, there really was no way. I think that I wasn't going to at least slightly enjoy Destiny Two because they had kind of put forth enough content early on through the beta um which was and which we saw at the reveal event and s- similar stuff where i knew that they were going for more of the things i liked with improvements in uh in the shortcomings of the game i think that one of the things that it seems like bungie did was take a look at um all of the things that happened in in destiny 1 over its kind of lifespan and say okay well how can we uh, make these things happen more organically uh, in Destiny 1 it was really hard to get exotics to start in year 1 you weren't really showered with them but by the end of, of its 3 year life cycle you were able to just you know make it rain exotic engrams to the point that you just had this embarrassment of riches uh, not counting Xur um, who brings exotics uh, every weekend and, and whatnot. but with this game through through the campaign, you are given one armor piece and one gun guaranteed, so that's kind of like an exciting ooh, I got this something new um I think that public events were a very kind of uh ignored piece of destiny content that these things happen every few every like twenty minutes or so throughout the world of destiny one. Nobody really did them except for early on to see like what they changed with them now. I've played more public events in Destiny Two than I've done anything else. Destiny yeah, they're really 2 fun. Has made public events like the greatest source of grinding. Um, they're more dynamic. It's a. It's just. It's. It's like your your loot fuel, and I think that that's kind of like one of the things that they've done really well is found the shortcomings and said, okay, well, we we didn't do very well with telling the story in Destiny One. We got better with Taken King, and we we. Kind of, I think, went a little back with Rise of Iron. Um, but here, I think the storytelling is very present. It's present in other stuff, side content, like the adventures that were mentioned. There, There is a lot more for you to digest um, of the world of Destiny. And there, there really wasn't that much early on in Destiny 1. I think, yeah, I really enjoyed the campaign. I think it has a lot of um, that kind of uh you could have somebody who didn't like the game and they'll look at it and say oh well this kind of looks like the same game especially since you're fighting a lot of the same enemies i would say you know 85 percent of the enemies are enemies that you've seen before in some form or another so like there are fair criticisms to be made about is this really destiny 2 or is this you know a true expansion in the sense of the word but um I'm I'm having super fun time with it, and I can't wait for Wednesday because that's when it really starts.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to try that on Wednesday as well. Um, so, Andrea, have we hit all of your good column yet, or do you have more?
1: I have, I have more. Um, so, I'll just try to run through them a little quickly. So. I have here, there's a good mix of NPC dialogue and side character development. We've seen some new characters added to Destiny 2 that I think are really fun. Uh, One in particular that is technically in my Gimme More column, like the extra good column, is Failsafe, who is like the highlight uh, new character from Destiny 2. Um, But there's Hawthorne and the guy on, um, I think, io whose name i can't remember um sure. the weird guy the weird scientist guy um and then um there's uh, some other people who are in the um uh, in the tower as well so there's a new social space the farm which is a beautiful new space it's much larger than i thought it was going to be i hope that much, they much
0: better to be in than what was it the citadel was it called no it's called uh, the tower the tower yeah it uh it was. It's much nicer. To, it just feels nicer to be in than than that.
1: Day, yeah, I, think. I mean, graphically, in from an art direction perspective, it's it's definitely more interesting. But once you hit level twenty, it's really not as useful as you want it to be. And I'm hoping that we're gonna see that space utilized in upcoming additional content packs, expansions, and potentially like holiday events and things like that. Um, and Another thing that I liked, uh, kind of another good quality of life improvement, uh, being able to decode blue level, rare and, and lower engrams while you're in the field. So you don't have to yeah. constantly be going back to the crypt to be like, Hey, I have a thing you need to decrypt.
0: Or, oh, and also, yeah, like my inventory is full. I can't pick that thing up right now. Gah. There's nothing more frustrating than that.
1: Yeah. yeah so but... that, that was really excellent that they, they added there. So. Um, that's just in my good column, but then I have other things in the give me more column that, as a longtime Destiny 2, or uh, Destiny fan, that I was really pumped about. And one of the things that I think makes Destiny so amazing is the excellent level design and how in Destiny 2, they have used verticality within these levels in a way that we truly only saw in the raid and in some high level strikes, um, in later content and like, um, the, Like the Taking King expansion, for example. So I really love how they incorporated more expansive level design in Destiny 2. There's the – one of the strikes, for example, I think it might be the Lake of Shadows, which is the PlayStation 4 exclusive strike. It's just like I had to stop and just look around at how beautiful the level design was in that game. And there's so many things – that are just yeah, I, so well I'm done.
0: surprised at how much actual platforming is in this game. I I don't remember there being so much platforming in Destiny, but maybe I'm not remembering it. Yeah. But
2: like go ahead. It's well, it's it's something that I think is one of the kind of big crimes of Destiny 1 is everybody would say, "Well, I wanted more variety." And people would say, "Well, it's in the raid." And now they've they've realized, "Okay, we need to like introduce the kind of fun ways we mess around with i think the strike's called the pier meridian where you're jumping around and there's like um uh like laser walls there there's more going on than just like the straight shooting and i think that um people are maybe hopefully understanding why these raids are a little more compelling is because they offer combinations of just shoot monsters for 20 minutes and explore
0: yeah, but even in the you know just in the base game, uh, what is Nessus the 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 sea planet that um, uh, no titan, that's Titan the one Titan with the water yeah with the tons of platforming on it you can fall into the water you got to jump from you know these rickety bridges to other rickety bridges and I was like oh this is really cool and different than anything that I remember doing in the first game um, so I, I yeah I dig that stuff I think that's it's it makes everything feel uh, more interesting and you were talking. Andrea about um, NPCs and characters. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has set their controller down. Just happened to be standing next to a you know quest giver and uh, did start doing other things, checking Twitter or whatever. And the things that those people say <laughs> so just when you stand next to them is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh it's pretty funny. They have a lot of stuff of just garbage <laughs> dialogue to tell you while you're just standing next to them. It's pretty funny.
1: It is uh, indeed. Yeah, Tess uh from Eververse in particular <laughs> has some yeah. has some choice things to say. If you ever want to hang out, put your controller down and just hang out by her her stall. Uh she mm-hmm. has some some great one-liners. Um you know, going back to what you were saying about Titan, you know, and I think that that's a testament to the world building and the set pieces that the team at Bungie has created. I had, you know, mixed feelings at first about some of the art assets being obviously reused from destiny. And there are certain areas where it's like super clear, like, Oh, this looks like Venus. Oh, this looks like Mars, but it's just, you know, a little bit of a different color. And, Mm. you know, part of me was like, you know, I don't know how I feel about that, but I had this conversation with a friend of mine where we were playing the other day. And I was like, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence about them reusing the enemy archetypes and reusing some of these art assets and, and everything. And he was like, but doesn't it not it a testament to how well Bungie created these styles? How like when you walk into a world, you can tell right away if it's the Vex or if it's the Hive or if it's the Cabal because you know what those styles look like because Bungie created those styles from scratch. And I was like, you know... I never thought about it that way, but now that you bring it up, that is a very good point.
0: So you're saying that we did it so good the first time, why do we need to do it again?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think about tentpole AAA video game franchises that have multiple iterations, you know, let's just use like Gears of War as an example. How often is the game fundamentally changing in a way that's completely different from its predecessor? I mean, it's right. changing in a few subtle ways. Maybe they'll add in a new enemy and they'll change, you know, the way that the standard enemy moves, but they're not like reinventing the wheel every time. Right. True. And so, True. and I, when you look at it framed in that context, I was like, okay, you know, maybe my expectations were a little bit unreasonable to say that, you know, I wanted more from Destiny 2. But the gunplay in Destiny 2 is just so dang good. That it kind That's of true. makes me forget about all of the grievances I have and I still – we still haven't gotten to my bad column yet. But um, it, the first-person shooting mechanics that Bungie has developed that are used both in Destiny and now are even refined more in Destiny 2 are just so good that you overlook some of the the bad stuff because it's just so much fun to play.
0: I completely agree, and and uh, to speak from my perspective, which is a person that, you know, despite both of your <laughs> repeated proclamations to the contrary, uh, never got into the first Destiny, and I feel like it has really clicked for me in a way the first game never did, and I, I, have, I understand the gameplay loop of fun that this game offers, which is get a cool gun, adapt to playing with that cool gun, find a better gun, ooh, it's very different. Ooh, fun! This one's fun. I like this, and then get a new thing, and ooh, that's even cooler. And that constant, you know, loot chase, but also the idea of constantly having some fun, new, different thing to do. And yeah, the the taking down of enemies in this game is really great. It's really challenging. It it uh, constantly throwing new kinds of things at you, and switching up the kinds of weapons you want to be dealing with certain enemies with. All of that is sublime and it really, really is very, very fun. I have some big things in my bad column as well, but I, I want to let Anthony say anything else he wants to say positively first before we get into the criticisms. Um, because I want people to understand how much we all really dig this game.
2: Yes, I, I really do dig it. Um I yeah, I feel like um as somebody who kind of uh is obsessed with the grind, um, you know, is is trying to be as raid ready as possible it it can't be overstated enough how how well that they have made um, it feel like you're not you're not being showered with stuff like you're not being because towards the end of Destiny one it definitely felt like you could get to where you wanted to go really quickly like when the Taken King launched you were given XP bo- boosters and you could bank bounties and just turn them all in and you went from level uh 34 to whatever to 40 like instantly. Um it definitely feels like a a better progression across the board both in terms of getting to level 20 and getting your your power level higher and higher. Those smart changes with the blues just decrypting and and exotics being rare and legendaries uh you know being a little more common than that and and those popping up. And I would say the other thing that I really Uh, appreciated about the game that I think I wanted more of uh, in Destiny 1 is a a unique environment an environment that is not um, just built off of the existing patrol destination because I think that was a lot of of Destiny 1's uh, issue in terms of like the level design and wanting to have you be compelled by the campaign is that you would go through these areas that we're very we're very clearly just built off of this patrol area. But this campaign has some unique areas and I think they're really awesome. And you never see them again. You can't go back and visit them. And so they have more of this memorable, like, remember when I did this? Remember when we did this? And so I think that that's really um, going to be huge for people that don't care about the loot grind, that don't care about anything. They just want, like, a solid story and uh, a good um, kind of cadence of of new environments and new experiences, I think it delivers that way, way more than Destiny 1 ever did.
0: So you would say that this is, across the board, an improvement
2: from the first game? Yes, but it is also a lot like the first game. So <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, if you did not enjoy Destiny 1... Um, I guess I guess the best way to describe it is if you did not enjoy Destiny One, I don't know if you'll enjoy Destiny Two. If you felt like Destiny One didn't click with you, you might enjoy Destiny Two.
0: Yeah. All right, Andrea, let's get to your your dreaded list of bad
1: <laughs> So on Kinda of Funny Games Daily last week I had a pretty epic rant about shaders and microtransactions in Destiny Two. So I'm not gonna go like all the way into the deep end about that because if you want to hear my rant about it, you can just check that out over on our channel there. But as I've now played several more hours of Destiny 2, I'm still feeling a little upset about the use of the microtransactions as to where we're at. So the biggest problem with the way that they've done customization in Destiny 2 is that you are moving much too quickly through your power levels, through your gear, through your weapons in order to really take advantage of customization. I like how you can do individual pieces, how you can use different colors for your gauntlets, your chest piece, your helm and your boots and your weapon and your ship and your sparrow. I think that that's great that they've allowed you to apply shaders to each of those individual things. What I don't like is that because of the grind of Destiny 2, because that's such an inherent part of the gameplay, you're constantly switching pieces of gear. Until you get to probably level like power level like 260, and then like 265-ish, is kind of when you hit the grinding wall, and then you start to figure out, oh, this exotic I'm going to use. Oh, this legendary gun, or this legendary helm... I'm going to use and so I can start infusing that and then I can keep it and then I can apply a shader to it. I think that they have, I think Bungie in their mind envisioned people using shaders in a much more disposable way than they are, but as a long-time Destiny player, I know, hey, don't get too attached to any of your gear until you get to close to maximum level because you're going to need to do the, the... chunk by chunk grind to get up there and in order to get your engrams to drop at a higher level you have to constantly be equipping the thing that's the highest power level and so, that-
0: so so let me let me just just so i'm clear because i i maybe not knowing what happened in the first destiny in the first destiny you could apply shade you, once you had a shader you could apply it as many times as you want it was like a spray can right you could just put it on anything forever
1: correct
2: no weapons no
1: weapons yeah there was no, you could not apply shaders to weapons uh, to ships or to sh- sparrows.
0: Okay, uh, and now when you get a shader, which drop in the world, right? But also are sold via microtransactions. Correct. Now they are one-time use. You put it on your boots, and now you you can't put the matching color on your hat if you don't if you don't have multiple of them, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah.
1: And then if you well, decide to change your look for a day, you have to take the shader off. And then put another shader back on. And then if you want to use the shader you were using previously, let's say like I'm going to go run some Crucible matches, so I want to make my character pink. And then I decide mm-hmm. I'm going to do the raid with my clan, and we all want to wear our white shaders in together. Right. But then I'm like, okay, the raid's over. Now I want to go back to Crucible. I want to be pink again. I have to pay not only in Glimmer to apply the shader, but then I have to have another... another uh, inventory item of that same shader. And that to me is where it gets real sticky in a bad way because some of these shaders cost quite a lot of glimmer to apply. For example, I put a, a the watermelon shader on my ship last night and it cost me 15,000 glimmer to apply, Hmm. which is quite a bit of glimmer. When you think about 25,000 glimmer was the previous max you could hold in destiny. (laughs) Uh,
0: Anthony, are you? I'm bored with this criticism as well. Is this something that that bothers you?
1: Um.
2: Well, so it, it's very interesting. I, I think ultimately, uh, Bungie's going to cave, and they're going to make it where you can get your shaders back. I think that the the mods, which is another consumable that if you put on, uh, I think that's the that's a bigger thing. The the I completely concept, agree. That's
1: but, a bigger issue.
2: Um Uh, because those those go away and those actually raise your power level and there's a lot of like end game kind of like convoluted but i think in the sense of like the shaders well basically luke smith came out and said look this is this was our intention we 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 made it so that every time you level up past 20 you get bright engrams and you'll get shaders you're just gonna have an overabundance of shaders and you're going to be able to apply them. But I think, yeah, like those instances that Andrea is talking about where there were plenty of times where I wanted to w- my character to look a certain way for one thing and then switch back to my default look or whatever and now you're just kind of like you're, you're committing to that look or you're not and then you lose out on what I think is really cool about Destiny is you look at your buddy... Uh, in a patrol area, and you go, man, he looks awesome. Instead, we all look really, really ugly right now because nobody wants to put shaders on because they're all afraid of not getting them back. Especially if you get uh, a legendary shader, which are the coolest looking ones, I think.
0: Right. So, so you're you're yeah, basically all punky Brewsters with all mismatching stuff.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's all we all look ugly. We're all walking around looking ugly with the with different colors and and different textures and whatnot, but. Yeah, though Bungie may say, like, hey, this was our intention, we knew it, I I cannot imagine a scenario where um, maybe it's going to be harder to do, maybe they weren't anticipating this reaction, but I cannot see a situation where within, like, the first three months they don't say, hey, we're going to make a system, you know, when you want to take a shader off, you can take it off. You were right. <laughs> it, it just... At the end of the...
1: Yeah, you, you're totally right. Anthony is saying, like, you're walking around seeing everybody kind of look kind of ugly. And that's, I think, indicative of why this is so, such a resonant issue with the Destiny community. Because you can't get to the cool customizations of your Guardian until the end game. And if, Bungie wants to bring potentially millions of players back to Destiny 2 that kind of gave up on Destiny or maybe never even tried it. They're asking them to sink 20 to 30 plus hours to get to the point where customization matters. And that to me is a big ask. When you have this really cool system in place where you can customize your ship and your gun and all this stuff that makes people want to, you know, continue playing and gives you a connection with your guardian and makes you want to be in that world with your guardian, but asking them to like wait until they get to this endpoint because it's such, it's so disposable. I just, I don't understand why nobody on the inside was like, Hey guys, maybe this isn't the best idea. Maybe we shouldn't do this.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I'm, I am not, uh, you know, I'm not deep enough into it to, to, to care. I, I feel like, um, with first-person games, I'm so less connected to how I look because I so rarely get to see myself. But uh, I'm sure as I play more, I'll I'll invest more into that well, you,
2: feeling. You can shader your guns now, so I think that's I think that's the biggest. You can shader your guns, ships, and ghosts. So mm. those are the things that you are actually going to be able to see. And I think right. that's really kind of like the the cooler, more show-off thing to yourself is like I want to find that shader that just looks perfect on this gun or this gun, or you want a matching set. But yeah, then you ultimately have to commit. You have to say, okay, well, this gun is going to be my go-to gun, and I want to put this shader on. Oh, I don't really like. You can preview it, obviously, but eventually you might say, well, I don't really like the look of it. I want to put a new one on, and that other shader's gone. Yeah. Um, All right. But it's a small. It's a small complaint.
0: Uh, Andrea, what else is in your bad category?
1: Um. Some of the other things in my bad category have to do with the skill tree and the, the way that they've modified them. So there's three new subclasses for each of the main classes this time around. As a hunter player, I feel like we kind of got the short end of the stick in Destiny 2. And that's really unfortunate because there's a lot of people out there like me that love playing hunter. Um, the Arcstrider subclass is okay, it's not bad. It very clearly is a riff on the uh, Blade Dancer uh, subclass from Destiny. I don't think that it's necessarily as powerful as it needs to be. And the other subclasses within the Hunter class feel like they need to have a little bit of a buff. For example, I'm a big fan of the Night Stalker subclass, which is the Void subclass for Hunter. The shadow shot was one of my favorite things to use when I'm on a fire team because it made me feel like I could be a little bit of a support character – using Heart of the Pack as a way to buff the people in my fire team, giving them extra recovery, extra armor, giving them extra orbs of light to charge their supers, while also being able to make a little bit of a dent when the enemy NPCs were overwhelming us. And now I feel like my shadow shot just does no damage whatsoever and is almost kind of useless. I may be generating a few orbs here and there. Now, I've talked to some people that say that perhaps, like, it was a little overpowered in certain situations like raiding, for example, but that's such a small part of the Destiny experience that I was a little disappointed that they also locked specific abilities to certain sub-trees of the class. If you notice, if you pull up your skill tree now. Once you unlock the main three, there's two sub-branches, and each of those sub-branches has four individual abilities tied to it. Before in Destiny, they weren't tied in that way, so you could kind of mix and match. Um, abilities in a different in a different variety in a different fashion, and I have to say that I preferred the way that they did the skill trees in the previous game. Uh, so Anthony, what do you think about that? Was what
0: you're saying? There's
2: fewer options.
1: Yes, there's fewer there options.
2: Fewer options. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know.
2: I was having this discussion last night. I'm of two minds of it. Obviously, I I want the option to be able to pick whatever I want, but I do think that. At the end of the day, I think there is this weird kind of like uh, approach to skill trees where developers have this ambitious ambitious vision of, okay, you know, so-and-so is going to use this and so-and-so is going to use this. And I think at the end of the day, especially in Destiny 1, you were basically – no matter what class you were playing no matter what subclass you were playing you were like i'm playing pvp i'm picking this this perk this perk this perk this perk and so i think what bungie tried to do um was say okay well we're going to give you just a perk grouping that is pvp focused and a perk grouping that's pve focused and that'll be the end of it we're not going to pretend like you know you want any of these other abilities because nobody used them at the end of the day in destiny one. Um, but at the same time, like it would be nice to, um, you know, find out how different combinations play with each other and maybe, um, do more with that. So I, I think I understand where they're coming from with it. Um, I certainly understand where they're coming from as far as they wanted to neuter the idea that your supers are to be held onto. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to vis- visit Bungie last month and, and they talked about um, their approach to to supers and how it has always been a struggle for them to make people use their supers, especially when those supers were Shadow Shot and Self-Res and Bubble for the Titan, the Ward of Dawn, because all of those things were vital for like, a DPS phase and they wanted people to just be running around using their supers. So I totally get where they're coming from. Um, by eliminating a lot of those stuff and neutering things. But yeah, I th- I think there is some balance and I wouldn't be surprised if later down the road, they said, hey, you know, you, you can just, you you the melee ability from this top section, you can have it and then you just don't get the melee ability from the bottom section.
1: You know, what's interesting about you saying that is like I immediately get angry that somebody's trying to tell me what my play style should be. And and that, and that's a tough part about this, right? Because there has to be a balance between the way that the people who are creating the game intend the game to be played, but also in a game like Destiny that's a hybrid RPG that allows so much player choice in other areas that they would take a fundamental part of the gameplay mechanics and say, well, we're going to tell you how to play this subclass instead of allowing you to choose how you want to play it. And if they hadn't set a precedence for it with Destiny – then I maybe not, wouldn't have been as upset about it in Destiny 2. But if you're going to take the same subclass from your previous game that I spent hundreds of hours perfecting my playstyle with, and you're not going to give me a brand new class or more than one brand new subclass, then I'm going to be mad about that.
2: I feel like the responses, I think... It- Though Bungie is, I think, a great developer, and they're very in, t- in tune with their community more than a lot of developers, and they've established a lot of standards now in terms of, like, Twitch streams and weekly updates, I think one of the things that um, is, is important to remember about Bungie is that they love to punish the players that figure out things <laughs> um, you know, like it is kind of like a cynical way, but you know, people figured out certain things to do stuff, and then they took them away. You know, there was a a trademark strategy for doing King's Fall, and they let it go, and then they were like, "Nah, we're taking it away." So I feel like, yeah, that they, they're just saying, like, we see that you are just relying on your holding your super, and we're going to punish you for that, and maybe that's my cynical view, but it definitely feels. That I'm way. sure that's not how they view it, <laughs> but no, no, yeah. no. But I I think that they are probably looking at it and saying like we need to encourage people to do these things more because they didn't in right. Destiny 1 so we'll make them uh, I am
0: loving this in-depth discussion of Destiny 2. It's exactly why I wanted you guys on the show. And we will have more of it, including some big uh, criticisms that I have of the game that maybe you guys can mitigate with your knowledge. Uh, but I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Gamefly. If you're listening to this conversation and you're like, I want to play Destiny 2, I can't afford to buy new games all the time. There's so many games coming out. We got this this week – there are so many games coming out, let alone this month, let alone this holiday season. We're, we're getting into fall. you got to be able to play more games, but who has the money to buy new games all the time? That's why Gamefly should be on your list because Gamefly lets you save money and play more games. They let you rent and buy all your favorite games, and you'll save so much money doing it. You pick your favorite games; they get mailed directly to your door. They have over 9,000 titles to choose from. All you got to do is queue up the next big release on your list, get it right to the top of your list. Make sure there's a, uh, you know, you got a game uh, in your queue ready to go, and they'll, they'll send it right to you. They also offer movie rentals now, also, and you get to keep the movies and games as long as you want. It's amazing, and we're gonna give you 30 days to try it out. What a better 30 days than this month? Because, man, going into October, there are so many games to play. If you want to play Destiny 2 on PC, but you're, you know, it's not fun waiting around until the PC release, why not just rent it on Gamefly on PlayStation or Xbox, play it for a little while, send it back, and then get the PC version? That's the best way to do it. We're going to give you 30 days of free premium Gamefly subscription if you go to Gamefly.com slash dlc 2 that's DLC, the number two. And uh, the premium version gives you two games and or movies at a time. So it's great. And it's free for 30 days. Why not check it out? Gamefly.com slash DLC2. Okay, we're still talking about Destiny 2. It's really the biggest thing to talk about. And I don't mind devoting this much time to it because, I mean, the game is massive. It's so fun. 1.2 million concurrents <laughs> this week of people playing it. It's it's uh, it's a big deal. and You know, I've already mentioned how much I have found my love for this game, and I get it now in a way that I never got it with the first game, but I have a couple of criticisms I want to bring up uh, that may not be on your list, Andrea. The biggest for me, as somebody who was excited about a numbered sequel bringing them back into the game world, is that I think the story layer, the narrative layer on this game is a complete mess. It's a disaster. I really do. I really do. I know, Anthony. You had mentioned thinking that the the narrative uh, was strong here. I think it's terrible.
2: <laughs> I really well, do, and I, it's such a. I should such... say that I, I didn't think that the narrative necessarily was was great. It was more the um, the variety of environments because there okay. there there are, I think there's at least one towards the end. Two, I think
0: that are... I think that I think the environments are awesome. I think the environmental storytelling of like where people are and what's going on is cool. I think the the. Characters in the game world are different and interesting and fun. I mean, Nathan Fillion's character uh, is is such a blast to just kind of hang out with. But I could not tell you what the story is in this game. Uh, it's, it's bizarre to me. I did a, a rant on Newest Latest Best, my daily video game show, uh, about how lore is not story – and I think that Bungie, ever since the first Halo, Bungie has completely misunderstood what story is. And it's not really them in isolation. A lot of people do. And, I, and it's, a, it's a criticism I have of a lot of properties that what you get in this game is lore. You don't get any story. And what kind of limp attempt at story they start off with at the beginning of the game I think is clumsy and bungled. <laughs> it's – so the idea of this game is that uh, you lose your light, you lose the ability to be a guardian at the beginning of the game, and that's a big deal. It's made out to be a big deal, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're gonna be, you can't resurrect anymore. You you're you don't have your light." And oh wait, there it is. Go touch it. Oh, you got it back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I I laughed out loud by how quickly. That storyline just ended. It like lasted five minutes at yeah. best. It was a
0: joke. It really was. I'm glad you agree with me because I was. I thought there was such wasted potential there. This is a really interesting idea of being mortal uh, again, and and you know, uh, working your way back up into godhood or whatever it is. You know, guardianhood. Uh, and they just completely squander it. It, it is. It is. It can only be viewed as a contrivance of a numbered sequel to let you restart at level one and build back up. It, it is not narrative-based. It is a narrative workaround for something they needed to do from a conceptual level. And that really frustrates me because it could have felt, even if it was a motivation of a numbered sequel, it could have felt like this really powerful, profound thing, and it, it just falls completely flat for me. In the game,
1: yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think the story has, you know, long been a, a very weak part of Destiny, and it's weak in Destiny too. They do such a great job of creating these characters that are in the world, from Ikora and Kate and Shaxx, and you know, Master Rahul, and all these people that you that you know and you know have formed relationships with, but they can't tie them to the overall arc the narrative in a meaningful way and that's super frustrating even the the big bad in this game you know i can already predict exactly what's going to happen in the raid because of what happened with the big bad in the in the campaign well and and also they
0: they do do these cutaways in, in the main campaign you get this cool look red logo that comes up on the screen and now we're we see the bad guy we're like you know, getting a, a cut scene in his lair. And you're so like, Oh cool. We get to see like what what's going on with the bad guy. And he's captured someone. I've no idea who that is, but I guess it's important. An important person from the first game that I'm just not aware of. He's yeah.
2: Ca- yeah. He's I, would, captured- I would say that that is, that is because I, I kind of, I would say I enjoyed the story more. I would say that for you, Jeff, it's kind of hard to, to be that critical when you don't even know who he stole. Okay. Like, fair enough. It's a sequel, and I didn't see sure, the yeah. first
0: film. For example, you know, it's like I don't know who this Darth Vader fella is, or whatever. But
1: but Anthony, do I even know who he stole? They don't explain who the Traveler is in Destiny. Well, well it's, well, it's well, worse than that. It's speaker. worse than that.
2: You see the speaker so much,
0: though. But it, it's worse than that, Anthony. In my in my opinion, Fair because enough. it's fine if I don't know who that is. But every time we cut back to those dudes, do- well, not every time, but. M- of the time we cut back to those dudes, which we do like four or five times. They're having the same conversation that is completely impenetrable. It is nonsense. It is mumbo jumbo. And all we see is them talking. I'm going to do this. No, you're not. You're not going to do this. Yes, I'm going to do this. No, you're not. You won't do this. Yes, I'll do this. It's like, because I am the biggest, baddest guy and I will give the thing. It is utter nonsense. It's not story at all. It's 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 lore. And I challenge anyone to explain to me the story of Destiny or Destiny 2 without mentioning lore. And I can do that. I can tell you the story of Horizon Zero Dawn without mentioning a single bit of lore of that game. I can tell you the story of Star Wars without mentioning anything about what a Jedi is or what droids are. But I could tell you the story of the young boy who dreams of getting off of his home planet and finds out that he's something greater than he is. Like that is a universal tale. That is a, That is narrative. All of the other crap, all of all what jedi are and you know you know what fighter pilots are, what the rebellion and the empire are that 's lore that 's not story, but you can't tell me what the story is of destiny without explaining what light is, who the guardian is, who the traveler is. Somebody on Twitter, in fact, uh, I was kind of I ranted about this on my show, and somebody on, on Twitter said. Come on, Jeff, how could you n- not like Destiny's story about the Collapse, the Golden Age, the Traveler, the City, the Speaker, the Light, the Guardians, the Darkness, the Fallen, the Hive, the Cabal, the Vex, the Taken? It's all nonsense if, you don't, if you're if you not digging into the lore, but that's just lore. Like, give me a way in, a narrative way in that I am curious about what the lore is.
2: I feel like I now have to be the Defender but I feel like I could tell you the story of destiny 2. It's you're a superhero, a bad guy comes and wants to take your superhero power. And he goes about it one way and he goes about it another way. I mean, I don't want to like spoil anything, but like, that's, that's kind of the thing is you, you, you've been existing as a superhero for a while. You've fought a bunch of, uh, you know, very worthy adversaries, somebody a new challenger enters and is like you know what you have this power and it's what makes a difference for you i'm gonna take it from you and i'm gonna take it and use it and there's nothing you can do to stop me and then it's stripped from you you get it back and then you're like okay i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna to beat you i feel like i can explain it
0: okay i think you did a great job but (laughs) as as andrea and i were both pointing out i feel like that that concept was not conveyed or if it was conveyed, it was conveyed in a very clumsy way that didn't have any impact. Cause I didn't feel like a superhero who got my power stripped and then got it back. I felt like that was this moment at the beginning of the game where then I went and touched this thing. And now
2: it's, it, 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 it didn't have, it wasn't well executed. I guess for me that opening the homecoming, you, you it's easy. The opening homecoming mission is easy. And I think that's the whole point is, you're there's trouble at the tower you show up big awesome dude or girl with powers and you're just pushing back the cabal and you're like okay this is going to be like every other time we're just gonna these people are gonna attack we've done it before we're gonna push them back and then this giant dude in white shows up and goes hey what happens if you don't have your power and strips it from you and kicks him off it kicks you off his ship I, i don't know I I guess it's just I've I've been invested in this world so much that like I don't know those little details were I I, I noticed them.
0: Well, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. it. For me, it felt like a huge wasted opportunity of me me and a lot of people that I've interacted with saying, "Hey, I really wasn't into the first game, but here's this big numbered sequel. I'm not going to jump back into something called an expansion to the first game, but I will jump into this big new version that's supposed to you know bring me into the game." And I just felt like they – I know it's a hard thing to serve the existing fans and also be fresh and exciting. But I think they could have done a better job.
2: That's fair. Uh, I disagree, but I can can see your points. (laughs) Okay, Uh, Andrea, are there any other uh, bad things that you wanted to bring up?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple more things, but they're mostly just quality of life issues. Um, For example, uh, they've locked the inventory for each category to nine items again, forcing the use of the mobile companion app or frequent trips to social spaces. And it's a little bit more frustrating this time around because of the way that they've changed uh, the gun system from kinetic energy and power from what it was previously. And uh, the reason why that's frustrating is but particularly for power weapons, because there are so many different kinds of power weapons now than there was in the previous game. And so I f- frequently find myself having to dump guns that I probably would use because there's just not enough space for them. And that's really that's really tough that I, I feel like I don't get a chance to properly test out guns or I have to constantly be just vaulting guns that I haven't gotten to try yet. And on top of that, exotic quest for guns goes in your inventory slot and it takes up a space and that's really frustrating as well and I'm like it would be so easy just to put that in your other section of your inventory like the UI for the inventory system you know is I don't want to say it's like cluttered or convoluted because I think I just need to spend more time getting to know it but they just made a couple small changes like that that once you start playing a lot of Destiny 2 like hopefully you will (laughs) um, that you start to notice that is just a little bit frustrating to deal with.
0: You, you bring up an interesting thing that, that I was thinking about too, and, and Destiny isn't the only game that does this, but it really bugs me. You said about trying out weapons. It really bugs me in all video games. Why, like this, why when you have guns like, you know, in Destiny the feel of the gun that I'm going, going to buy potentially from this vendor is important. I don't know based on it, just on its stats, if I want to buy this gun. Why can't I just shoot it a few times before I purchase? Why is there no try before you buy from a vendor? I'm not saying take it out on a mission. I'm saying like have a shooting range that you morph, you, uh, you, uh, you know, teleport to, uh, when you want to try out a gun and I can shoot it a few times and go, ooh, yeah, that feels really good. I'm going to spend my glimmer on that or I'm going to spend my whatever on it. Uh, I feel like that should be in all games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult of a thing to implement. But I understand that, you know, particularly in Destiny 2, a lot of your items are very disposable until you get to, you know, the higher levels. Because, uh, I mean, anything that's not purple, you essentially don't need to keep once you, like, hit level, like, 250, power 250, 260 because then they're just infusion for the guns that you actually want. But it's just tough with the way that they've changed the kinetic and energy weapons to know like, well, what if I want this gun as a void, you know, auto rifle, but I want to keep this auto rifle as a kinetic one. But now I don't have space because I have to have, make sure that I have, you know, a solar and an arc weapon to deal with specific enemy types in these situations. It's, It's a lot of inventory management in a way that I wish there was less of. And I know that's part of the RPG-ness of this game is the inventory management, but I feel like I spend so much time in menu systems making decisions about what to keep and what to get rid of. And I've gotten more proficient at it because I had spent so much time in Destiny learning how to, like, pick and choose what to keep and what to dump and what not to vault. Because in original Destiny, I vaulted almost everything until I got to the very end of Destiny and was like, why did I keep all this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm better about just dumping stuff I know I'm not going to use now, but – it's too early for me to know what I'm going to use and not use. And that's like, I feel like I've spent so much time doing inventory management and I'd rather just be out in the world shooting stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you kind of nailed it when you said it is games. you know, it's kind of, it's kind of one of the things like that, that decision process is kind of, Fun in in a way, it's kind of part of what these games are. But I I feel you, and I think you're right on. I mean, that's a lot of games too. It's like, why am I spending so much time in this dumb menu? I mean, even Zelda's like that. You know, it's like, why am I spending so much time on this menu? Oh, do
1: Zelda's way worse.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, all right, so let's let's wrap up our discussion of Destiny Two. We spent oof, a long time on it, and I but I
2: think it was great. Um, well, hold on, Jeff. Okay, we haven't talked about PvP. Oh yeah, we
1: haven't. Thank you for bringing it up. It's because I'm I just,
2: terrible at it. Well, I just want to say, like, uh, I enjoy PvP. Um, I think that it is a crime that they have reduced PvP's, um, op- options to a com- competitive and a quick play option. You cannot even choose the mode you want to play. Um, I, I think that that is, um, you know, you're supposed to, they're, they're essentially, I think, going about it backwards by giving us the two options up front and then, you assume later saying, okay, you can play each mode. Whereas other multiplayer shooters, when they want to like, uh, you know, not give people long matchmaking times, start to condense. This, this is like, I like clash. I don't like control. It sucks. You're going to have to play these, these modes you're not interested in and kind of like, just roll the dice each, each map. And I think that that's a crime, but otherwise PVPs, I'm um, pretty solid. A lot of the, the gun options that have, uh, not been as popular in destiny one have have gotten some love. Uh, I think there's some balancing and and some some hit detection issues, but I think overall it's solid. but I'm really disappointed that there's only two,
1: yeah. I'm also very disappointed that they decided to go with four v four instead of keeping the six v six. I have gotten into i was playing in the competitive crucible playlist uh with one of my clan members there was just two of us and so we were matchmaking with two people and two people just dropped out of the match and we got crushed because there is no way to win when it's 4v2 and it's really frustrating that they've made it so that if you have those kind of matchmaking issues that there's, like, the the mercy rules that they implemented in, in Destiny really helped alleviate that, and I don't know if they're just not using those mercy rules yet in Crucible in PvP, or if they're going to add them in later, or if they just need to tweak them, but it's, it becomes really not fun, and then you have to just kind of suffer through it, or then you have to be the one to leave the match, and I don't want to, like, quit out a match because my teammates quit. I want to get the rewards at the end and continue in the playlist, and it's super frustrating, and... I learned to love Crucible through Iron Banner and it took me a lot of a lot of practice to feel even proficient at it. I never became the best person in PVP or Crucible because I just didn't spend enough time there, but I got to a point where I didn't get frustrated and have those really like rage quit moments that Crucible can sometimes give you. And I just right now have no desire to go in and play Crucible in, the, in the, the way that it's currently set up. I agree with Anthony, like not allowing you to choose your match type is a huge oversight. And I get that they're probably doing that right now to figure out server load and balance issues. And then they'll probably open that up, you know, hopefully soon to allow you to choose what kind of matches you want to play. But not messaging that right away was a mistake, I think.
2: Yeah, I think I think the there are there are across the board uh score threshold issues in terms of uh the mercy rules are too high. The score thresholds for certain mode literally every PVP match you play will go to time. You will play the full time. There's no like, oh, we did really well and so we ended it quickly. It's it starts and there's this much time for this particular mode. You better be ready to play for that long. Um and it really doesn't matter, you know, how well or how poorly you do. If you're getting beat down, you're just going to get beat down for that much time. Or if you're doing the beating down, you're going to be destroying this team and thinking, man, these guys must just want to leave. It's yeah, there we are got some to things- the point
1: where we just went to we just stayed at the spawn point and danced. We just danced because <laughs> we were like, you know what? This is really not fun for me to just because we were so outnumbered and outgunned. That we were like, we don't even want to try anymore. So we just stood there and danced because we didn't want to quit. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up uh, the, the discussion of, of Destiny 2. I, I love that you guys uh, know the game so well and are able to talk about it so intelligently. I appreciate it. Um, I do really quick. Uh, Anthony, I know you've been playing Knack 2. And I'm curious about that game. Did you like the first Knack? I mean, I feel like I'm the only person in the world that did. Um,
2: okay. So I did enjoy the first Knack. It is way too long. That was my only criticism. The first, one. the first one is way too long for for a game that's supposed to be family friendly. It goes on way too long, um, and it's really combat focused. Um, and what I've played of Knack Two though seems to be more uh, of a balance. I'll admit I haven't played that much because Destiny Two, but I felt like I needed to play Knack Two to just be able to you know know. A little bit about it, just for the launch week, and I, I do think that it has more variety in terms of platforming and combat. It seems better. Um, doesn't seem like too much of a change. It just seems like they kind of went more of a fifty-fifty split in in terms of action platformer versus action with some platforming. All right, fair
0: enough. I think that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I, I'd like to give that game a shot. I feel like it's coming out the wrong time for me to give it a shot because there's just too much. I mean. Divinity Original Sin 2 comes out on Thursday. I, it's going to end me along with Destiny. Maybe if
2: you wait long enough, it, they'll introduce online co-op because I think that's the big Yeah, crime. it's local co-op now, right? Yeah, it's only local co-op and who does that? <laughs> it would be fun. It would be fun to play that game in co-op, I think.
0: Um all right, guys, let's uh let's get some quick questions in here before we go. I know we're running long already and we got 17 minutes of Christian Spicer talking about <laughs> destiny coming up at the end of the show. Uh but I do want to get your quick questions because I think these are good. Uh let me thank our final sponsor, which is Squarespace. I'm sure you've heard me talk about Squarespace before. I've been talking about it for a decade. That's how long I've been using Squarespace and recommending it to family and friends. It's really the best way to have any kind of online presence, a website. Um You know, any online portfolio you might want or even a a storefront. They make it easy to make a storefront. Easy really is the key word for Squarespace. It's all drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. If you're looking to make your next move, make it with Squarespace, your next website, your next any kind of online anything. Get your next unique domain from Squarespace. They are the place. I recommend this to my family members who don't really – you know, aren't really comfortable online because it's so simple. It's just all drag and drop. And they start with these uh, award-winning, beautiful templates that you can already have a beautiful website just doing that. But then it's so easy to make it look like something that you made, something unique, something your own, uh, because it's all just, uh, you know, woozy wig. It's It's great. And we're going to hook you up. So, you know, I, I use it. I have a uh, Jeff Cannata.com is on Squarespace has been for, for many years. I use it. I'd love it. I hope you guys give it a shot. The best way to do that is to go to squarespace.com slash DLC. Try it out. You don't even have to put a credit card in to try it out, build your website, use their tools, find out how much, how great it is. And then when you check out, use the promo code Jeff sent me. When you finally do decide to buy it, Jeff sent me, will save you 10% off. That's pretty great. Plus, it shows support for our show, which we appreciate. Uh, so, check it out. Make your next move with Squarespace. See their award-winning customer service, their award-winning websites. It's great. Squarespace.com/dlc slash and the promo code Jeff sent me. All right, guys, uh, let's jump into a couple of. He said, stalling, looking for the button. A couple of quick questions. Yeah, yeah. All right. These are questions submitted by you guys on uh, – by by email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or on our subreddit. We have a couple of sticky threads there. You can submit stories. Um, and everybody that gets their question on the show gets a copy of Out of the Park Baseball 18, courtesy of our friend Rich Grisham. Um, Out of the Park Baseball 18, um, fantastic baseball simulation on Steam. So – Our first one comes from Steve Dillon. He says, quick question. Are there any games, tabletop, or video that you seem – that for you seem like they are a hobby unto themselves and not just part of the larger hobby of gaming? He says, for him, it's Twilight Imperium, Agricola Caverna, Gloomhaven, Magic the Gathering, Overwatch, Dota 2, and Madden. I I think that we can all agree that there are games like this. Uh, Andrea – what do you think? What do you think about this? I think it's the more pertinent question because I think Destiny could seem like its own hobby. You could just play Destiny and not any other video games, right?
1: You could. Uh, I think really the the genre that fits that bill though is um, MOBAs because before Destiny's launch, I have been playing a lot of Paragon, which is Epic Games MOBA. That really was a hobby for me to jump on. And play because that's the kind of game that you can continue to play all the time, especially as they have committed to releasing a hero every three weeks. So at least every three weeks, you're going to have something new to check out. Whereas with Destiny, there were large patches of time where it's kind of like, okay, I've run the daily story, but how many times can I run the same story missions before I get bored? And so I would step away. From from Destiny, so I definitely think things like MOBAs ha- have the ability to create a hobby like environment in a much more successful way.
0: Yeah, Christian and I uh, hosted this um, uh, Mountain Dew stream last year uh, that was this kind of a. A reality show competition type of thing where they brought in a bunch of streamers, and a lot of the streamers were League of Legends streamers, and they had them play other games for this for this competition. And so many of these guys who were top tier League of Legends competitors and had many many thousands of of uh, streaming followers. When asked to play any other kind of game, they're like, I don't know how to play video games. I don't play video games. I play League of Legends. That's – I'm not a video gamer. I'm a League of Legends player. And I just thought that was a, such a strange – coming from the generation I come from, which is, you know, video games were this thing where you tried to play everything. Uh, it's such a bizarre thing, but it's so true. These things are a hobby into themselves. It's a skill set that you have to refine. It's like saying, I'm a sportser you're not a sportser you play baseball or you play football or you play basketball you know th- those are so deep uh, a a skill set and so you, particular that um you know you, you can't really play everything unless you're bo jackson or Deion sanders right anthony
2: oh yeah david west that's me <laughs>
0: david west what what is your uh, what do you what do you would you put into this category or what are your feelings about it
2: um i mean for me personally i would say the destiny is is probably a hobby unto itself for me it's something where I might not even be intending to do anything, but it's just like a communal experience for me to get on with my friends, and we'll just—it's like it's basically like talking on the phone, but we're we're playing a video game at the same time. But I think the game that I would argue is a hobby unto itself for a lot of people is Pokemon Go.
0: Oh wow, yeah, yeah.
2: I I would say that that's like you know it's it's not even it's barely a game, right. but it's I I mean just. This weekend I was driving down the street and I saw like seven or eight people just standing around. They didn't really look like they knew each other, but they were interacting and I, they were in front of like a statue looking thing. I was like, I bet you that's a gym right now and I bet you there's a legendary raid battle. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's more than just like, you know, there are people that aren't gamers, but they would probably say, hey, I, I play Pokemon Go. It's my hobby. I turn I, it on every day. I forget that that's still a thing. It's still a thing. It's still insanely popular. Alright, quick question. This
0: comes from Mike Beinert. He says, have you ever discovered a mechanic late in a game that would have helped you throughout your playthrough had you realized it existed? For example, never using a scope because you didn't know the weapon had one. If so, was this due to skipped tutorials because you knew what you were doing or poor onboarding design? Andrea?
1: You know, this is an interesting question because I have had moments like this it was hard for me to think of like something specific but i think it's maybe like a little of column a a little of column b i think some games allow you to discover things for yourself I think zelda is a perfect example of they don't tell you how to do a lot in that game (laughs) You, you have to kind of figure it out and there were times when people were like oh did you know that you could just do this and i was like i had no idea i could do that and I think that there's, you know, an argument to be made if it's the developer's responsibility to show you how to do things. I think if it's, you know, integral or if it's like, what's the word I'm looking for? If it's necessary for the gameplay experience for you to know how to do a thing, then they have to tutorialize it for you. But if you can get through the game without knowing how to do it, then you either discover it or you don't.
0: Yeah. Uh, what? What's your – you have any specific ones on this,
2: Anthony? Um, I would say that uh, any of the From Software games... (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. (laughs) I I would agree with Zelda. I think there is a mechanic, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a mechanic in that game that I never used, never knew about. I don't know if maybe I missed it somewhere, but it's, like, essential for a final boss fight um, that I missed. And uh, I was streaming the game at the time, and people were, like, yelling at me, like, don't you know how to do this? And I was like, oh, I never even knew I could do that. But... For I would say Dark Souls, there are a lot of mechanics. There's like a parry mechanic that they never teach you and is essential, I think, for um, certain weapons. Same with Bloodborne. There's a kind of stagger mechanic with the gun that they don't teach you necessarily but is really, really, really useful.
0: I think both of those games you guys have mentioned, that's kind of the hook of the game is that there's all this hidden depth that is obfuscated intentionally. Um, yeah. I think more the spirit of, of Mike's question here is like – Bonehead moments that you felt, which I certainly oh, sure. have. I had a hard time thinking of of a few of these, but I know there's been ones where I've I've le- legitimately uh, complained about something, and my friend's like, "No, just do this," and I'm like, oh, "I'm an idiot." Um, I know. I one of them that comes to mind is uh, Heroes of the Storm. I must have played a hundred hours of that game before I realized that you could quick cast, and quick casting like changed my life. Quick casting is where you don't have to target where you do an ability, you just push the button and it does it right there. And it's a toggle in the options menu, but they don't tell you about it. And I was—I had never played a MOBA before. It was my first MOBA. And so I, it was like, oh, it changed everything. So that's one of those bonehead moments. I'm sure I've had many, many more. Uh, quick question. Uh, this one comes from Nick. He says, I'm a huge Destiny fan and also a PC guy. So you can imagine how happy I was to see Destiny 2 coming to PC. However... I made a lot of friends on PS4 while playing the original Destiny. Herein lies the problem. Do I move to PC and enjoy all of the crispy pixels on my amazing PC? Or stay with the community I've been a part of for so long? What would you choose? Friends or Pixels? Andrea.
1: I think he answered his own question. He said, I made a lot of friends on PS4 while playing the original Destiny. So maybe, Mark, you will make a lot of friends on PC while playing Destiny 2.
0: Oh, okay. You're going Pixels.
1: Yeah, because here's the thing. I never once, Jeff and Anthony, have been drawn to play a shooter on PC in my life. Never once have I ever thought, oh, yeah, you know what? I want to go play that shooter on PC instead of console. Destiny 2 is making me want to (laughs) play a shooter on PC because it's that good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to go the other direction. Uh, What about you, Anthony?
2: Friends or Pixels? Nick, listen to me. (laughs) When you're doing your strike for the 19th time, your Pixels are not going to help you get through it. They're not going to talk about what you watched on Game of Thrones last week. They're not going to tell you what they had for dinner and how it was terrible. You go where the friends you made are because Destiny is all about repeating stuff. At the end of the day... The pixels are going to look cool the first time through, but then eventually that's going to wear off. Like, it's great. It's 60 frames per second. It looks good. It feels good. But at the end of the day, like, playing with friends, I think, is the real selling point of Destiny more than anything else.
0: Man, you guys put me in the awkward position of being the deciding vote. Um, I don't know. I, I was tempted to say Friends but i find uh myself in this in a different position my friends are all waiting for pixels and i said screw you friends i want to play it now so i got it on ps4 and i suspect i will not double dip so uh i i i picked neither of these options i picked soon soonest <laughs> so i don't know i'm 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 copping out and picking a third option which is as fast as i can play it <laughs>
1: There's uh, nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Finally, this is – I love this question. Uh, this is our last quick question. This comes from Mark from Nottingham. He says, why are video games good? <laughs> Positive aspects, please, to help convince my wife that video games are not a complete waste of time. I love this. Uh, Andrea, do you have any advice for Nick – or excuse me, for Mark?
1: Yeah. So I – I also apologize to Nick. I accidentally called you Mark because I looked at the wrong line in in the doc here. So, Mark, video games are good, most importantly, because they allow you to build friendships with people that may otherwise be impossible to have. For example, I met a guy named Jonathan who lives in Florida while playing Destiny We met when I was live streaming. I invited some of the community members to join my fire team. He was one of the luckies that got in right away. We had such a great time playing on that live stream that I said, hey, friend, when I see you online next, let's play again. We have been playing games together now for two and a half years, and he and I have never once met in person. Aww. But we still continue to talk to each other. We tweet to each other. We text to each other. We're Facebook friends. We communicate in our friends in our in every way that you could be friends with someone without ever having seen them in person. And I that friendship never would have developed without video games. Well,
0: we certainly hope he's uh, safe in Florida right now. That's a scary. He's thing. in
1: his car playing Zelda because he lost power. Oh, my And gosh. so he is running his chargers <laughs> on his car battery.
0: <laughs> wow. That's commitment.
1: But he is safe and he is Okay.
0: Awesome. Well, I am glad to hear that. Great answer. Uh Anthony, what about you? What are why are video games good?
2: I echo the the creating friends. I've made some friends, some like lifelong friends, I think, playing video games that I've had for quite um a long time. But I think in terms of convincing his wife, you you've got a few selling points. Uh, it's not it's not drugs. You know, he's not doing drugs. He's at home. He's, you know, you know where he's at, you know what he's doing. Um, you don't have to worry about that. And also it's a good way for him to connect with his buddies to play. Um, you know, it's a good way for, for you to, maybe you have some friends at game, you play with them and that's kind of like your guy's night out. And she, she knows where you're at. I, I I don't really know why his wife hates video games or if she does like what, what the, the deeper issue is. But I think that, um, I, I would just tell her, think about, all the other things he could be doing and how tame video games are by comparison.
0: I think that's a good answer as well. Um, You know, he said specifically why uh, video games are not a complete waste of time. And there's a, there's a quote that I've lived my life by, and that is uh, a moment enjoyed is not wasted. And I think that is very telling. I have a wife who is not a gamer, but one of the things that makes me love her so much is that she recognizes that when I'm happy, uh, our life is better. When when we both have ways to fulfill ourselves and be happy and live lives that are as joyous as possible, we have a more positive experience with each other and a more positive home life. So, joy, I would say, is my biggest uh, biggest answer to why video games are good. If it brings you joy, you're going to be happier and you are going to be. Uh, able to be more giving and happy in your relationship as well. But your responsibility on the other side is to know why video games are bad, which is they can sometimes create very compulsive behavior that makes you unfortunately ignore the needs of your partner or uh you know do things for much longer periods of time than are healthy. And it's your responsibility to kind of understand those as well and if she understands why games are good, you have to understand a little bit about why games can be bad, and be sensitive to that and understand you can't play for 14 hours straight if your wife uh, wants to hang out or you know you, it's your responsibility to be sensitive to her needs and understand that if she is uh, has positive feelings about your hobby, you have to have positive feelings about what she wants to do with her free time as well. So there you go, guys, great quick questions. I appreciate that. Uh, let us uh, wrap the show up. It's a long one. We, I appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with me this, this much. It's been such a great episode. I really appreciate it. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming out, so stick around for that. And Christian's feedback on Destiny 2 will be later on as well. But Andrea, Renee, thank you so much for being here. I've, uh, I always enjoy having you on the show, so thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thanks for having me. I I love hanging out with you guys. Yay.
0: Uh, Where can people keep up with you and all the awesome things that you do online?
1: Well, the easiest place to find everything I do is on Twitter, at Andrea Renee. But you can also listen to my podcast, What's Good Games, every Friday we post the show. So you can download that and subscribe on podcast services or on YouTube. Or you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash what's good games and become part of our community there. I also appear every week on Kind of Funny Games Daily, a video game news show at twitch.tv slash Games. You can also get that on podcast services and on the Kind of Funny Games YouTube channel as well.
0: Cool, Anthony Towermina. Thank you for being here, sir. I appreciate it. No problem. And where can people keep up with your doings and goings on?
2: Um, you can find all the work that either I write or I'm involved with. Lots of Destiny content. Uh, I've been in guide overload mode as far as like writing up different pieces of information. All that is at GameRant.com. Um, I've also been streaming. Destiny two on our Facebook, which is just Facebook.com slash Gamerant. And then if you just wanna like hang out and talk with me about Destiny, we can talk about how great the story is. <laughs> uh, Sounds good. Twitter Twitter.com slash Antormina, which is spelled A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. Awesome guys. We
0: certainly miss Christian, but it's been great having you you two guys on the on the show. We appreciate it. Oh, I shouldn't say guys. I gotta stop with the gender specific uh Things like that, right? I'm, that's that's... Uh,
1: guys is pretty gender neutral. All right,
0: all right, fair enough. Uh, gang, thanks, gang, thanks, <laughs> pals. Uh, let's get, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift.
3: Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift.
0: Andrea, do you have a uh, recommendation that can help people get through their week?
1: Yes. So. I am a big fan of fantasy uh, fantasy author Brandon Sanderson. Mm. He has a series called The Stormlight Archive. If you have not read... The Way of Kings and The Words of Radiance, I can't recommend them enough if you are into fantasy literature. They are two excellent pieces of work. I first found out about him because he was the one who teamed up with Robert Jordan and then ultimately finished the Wheel of Time series. I recently found out, and I can't believe I did not know, that book three, The Oathbringer of the Stormlight Archive, is releasing on November 10th. No, November 14th is the date that that uh, third book is coming out. So I am rereading book one and book two right now in anticipation. So if you guys have never gotten the opportunity to read the Stormlight Archive, I cannot recommend them enough. They are excellent, excellent books.
0: I agree. You know, I love those books. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he is crafting one of the most interesting, unique, different kinds of of uh, fantasy worlds in those books. They're massive, but they'll, you'll read them quickly. They have awesome characters. He's he's awesome and the best thing about this dude is he is like a machine
1: prolific yeah so prolific you you know that
0: this this thing which is proposed to be a 10 book series you know it's going to get finished unlike some other authors will remain nameless (laughs) uh how about you anthony what do you got for a parting gift
2: uh my recommendation is a new hbo series called the deuce um it's co-created by David Simon, who also uh, is responsible for The Wire. And I think for most people, that's just instant sell right there because, you know, The Wire. Everybody hates it, but The Wire. Watch The Wire. Um, but for those that maybe, you know, don't know David Simon and ha- are might be interested, it's, it's about um, the kind of porn industry uh, during the 70s and 80s. Uh, and James Franco plays Twins, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. This premiered last night on HBO and I sat down to watch it and turned on my HBO Go and loaded it up. And then I realized that the the pilot episode was an hour and a half. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm very excited to watch it, but I haven't watched it yet. So um yeah, I mean, he, his name alone, David Simon, it's, it's a must watch. Got a listener suggestion, parting gift. Uh, this was sent into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Aaron Suarez. He says, My suggestion uh, of what to do this week is to check out a fairly new podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. LeVar Burton, of course, you know, as, as uh, Lieutenant Geordie LaForge from Star Trek The Next Generation and from Reading Rainbow, he picks a short story that he enjoyed and reads it like an audiobook. And if it's good enough for LeVar Burton, it's good enough for me, says Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I haven't heard that yet. I'm going to check it out. Sounds great. My parting gift uh, is a friend of mine who has a really awesome band called White Cube, W-H-I-T-E-Q-U-B-E. Very cool electronic dance music. You will, I think, dig this. Their new album is called The Return. It just came out on iTunes and Amazon Music and anywhere you can get that stuff. Uh, check it out. Check out that song, The Return. I think you'll dig it. I'm digging it very much. Uh, White Cube, The Return. All right. That does it for this episode. Uh, again, Christian Spicer coming right up with his thoughts on Destiny 2. But we are done here. Thanks again to Andrea Renee and Anthony Taormina for hanging out with me. Thanks to all of our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. And thanks to all of you who listen to the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Until then, Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.
3: Hey, guys. I hope everyone is having a great Monday. had an awesome weekend, and um, hopefully this week's episode of DLC was good. Sorry I can't be there with you. I trust Jeff. Well, do I? Mm, Let me think. Uh, Yeah, I considered all the options, and I trust Jeff i trust jeff and anthony jeff i trust jeff and anthony uh held things down had a great show if there's a guest on the show what up other guests um sorry i can't be there with you guys live but i did want to talk about destiny 2 i'm recording this on um friday so Maybe things have changed. Maybe they talked about it. I don't know. I know Anthony has played more of the game than I have. I imagine Jeff at this point probably has as well. I am uh, maybe six hours in, focusing mostly on the campaign, the story missions, doing some adventures. I've also played with some listeners. What up, listeners? If we played together, it was tons of fun. Thanks for playing. Thanks for hanging out. Had a really good time. and um, I love it, man. I love Destiny 2 so far I think people, you know, the snarky Easy review is, well, if you liked Destiny, yep, it's more Destiny Uh, yeah uh, Of course, uh, right? I mean, if you liked Uncharted huh, Well, you're gonna like Lost Legacy Well, I went to the Dodgers game But I hated it, cause it was just another Baseball game Like, that's what you're going to, you're going to a baseball Game, they're gonna be playing Baseball Uh, <laughs> I don't know it's it's very hip and probably accurate to kind of pile on Vanilla Destiny which is right the very first release of Destiny 1 and that game wasn't great it had its problems and it didn't present the information or end game or grind stuff as well as it could have but that that game got appreciably better as it went along and the Taken King I think really uh cemented what that game could be. And it seems like with Destiny 2, they've built on all of that in really fun, cool ways. And I I think it does the game a disservice to say that this is just an expansion pack for Destiny 1. And, it, oh, it could have been this. Maybe, you know, maybe like a $40 expansion. I know WoW and other games have certainly had huge expansions. And Overwatch, these are all Activision Blizzard games I'm using as references here, have, um, you know, provided free updates throughout But I feel like what Destiny 2 is doing, where I am in the game and what I understand for the other parts of the game, is totally worth the the digit 2 at the end of it and also an asking price for a full game. And I think part of that is stuff that I don't fully understand, and it was the idea that you know, back in development or adding things like sparrow racing and and tweaking things was very difficult for how Destiny One was laid out and now in Destiny Two, hopefully, and and it's rumored that a lot of that stuff is fixed. So we'll see more special events and maybe holiday events or sparrow racing and you know, tweaks that can happen here or there and happen more frequently. But even without that, the subtle tweaks that they've made to the gameplay, like, yes, it is. It's still Destiny. You're still doing the same things, I think, are are great. And I think they're welcomed for people that maybe fell off of Destiny 1 or never got into the franchise in the first place. Now, someone like Anthony, who did all the raids and the strikes and maxed out, I think, a couple of characters. Right, Anthony? I think so. And it's, like, already, you know, maxed out in Destiny 2. They'll have a very different experience with the game and the nuanced changes they made to it, and I think will likely have some very valid critiques that I can't go into because I am not that type of player with the game. I don't have that reputation with it. Um, I did all the single-player content except for the last little, uh, downloadable content for destiny one. And I spent a a lot of hours with the game and I enjoyed my time with it. What I'm loving about destiny two, especially from the campaign side of things is that, and this came up in the chat when I was streaming, uh, the other day and you can find my streams at twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And I'm also archiving them, trying to break it up by hour at on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer seven one three. So you can head over there and find that stuff. Um, But what I found is, uh, and and what came up in the chat, is that Destiny 1 was full of lore, but it lacked a plot. And someone asked me in the chat when I was playing the other night, like, can I jump into Destiny 2 or will I be confused because I don't understand the plot of Destiny 1? I mean, I don't understand the plot of Destiny 1, right? Like, you killed some things and then the thing's son you killed and then you killed a thing and i don't i don't know i don't i don't know i had fun doing it but i don't i don't quite know what i was doing uh and in destiny 2 it it starts with a very clear plot thread if not simple about but about what you're doing and who you are and why these other enemies exist on these planets still when you go and explore them I, you know whatever i'm sure there'll be little side tangents and it's like why is there that thing here, it seems like from playing Destiny 2 that humanity, we're done. <laughs> we shouldn't exist anymore. We're vastly outnumbered wherever we go, and maybe it is our time. Um, but this game has a plot. The, the single-player content has a very clear and simple plot and a thrust for why you're doing things. And the addition of that, along with the beautiful cutscenes, goes a long way in making you invested in the game and wanting to do the one more story mission. One more story. Let's see what happens next. Let's get one more story. What's Cade doing? Where's uh, uh, the car? Gotta, uh, and it really pulls you forward. Along those same lines, the addition of the voiceover or the um, additional voiceover added during missions and also during the adventures. Where it's not just your ghost talking to you, but as other characters talking to each other, sometimes talking to you, as voiceover in your headset goes a long way in providing and um, coloring all of these characters and providing a larger world. And you get to know more about um, each character and how they interact with each other, it says so much about a character, more so than just reading a description where it's like, uh christian is reckless but great shot you know you read some things like you listen to how he talks uh it would be me in that example right how they talk and you're able to infer more things about that character and how they relate to and react to different characters and those interactions go a long way and having that happen while you're traversing um a world or taking on smaller enemies is really cool. It's really great, you know, distraction, so to speak, to what you're doing and it provides it, it fills out the world in a really nice way. I also have been loving the score in this game. It's the type of thing where I feel like I need to go fire up Destiny 1 again just to re see things because it's like I feel like that wasn't in Was that, is that how Destiny 1? But I feel like the score is surfaced in a much bigger way in Destiny 2 than it was in Destiny 1. And when it starts hitting, it's awesome. You get into these epic moments, and I loved the score in Destiny 1, and it had some really, really great moments. But this game, I love what they've done to it. They've added some some electric, you know, some synth-sounding stuff to it, and it's just louder. It's more focused and and takes on a bigger presence in the game as you're playing it and in parts I kind of felt like doom. You know, the music kicked on. It's like da 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 and you're just like, yes, I'm gonna go check these guys down. And you're getting these awesome firefights and that music just ramps up and is kicking. And that also goes a long way to making you feel awesome <laughs> and like and really badass and supercharged. And then of course it's that the, the Destiny, the bungee shooting, left trigger, right trigger, the way they did it in Destiny and evolved it, <laughs> combat evolved from Halo, it, it feels so good. It feels really, really good. And my favorite part are the headshots. Whoever decided to have the headshots kind of like and spark or gas like a little pinata, like that makes me that reaction the visceral reaction to that makes me want to get enemy headshots more so than it's a quick way to kill someone. It just looks and sounds awesome. It's like every time I do it, it's like I'm popping a pinata or or stepping on bubble wrap. It's it's super, super satisfying. And so I love the way the guns feel. I love the way, you know, shooting the enemies feel. I'm playing as a warlock, and I like the warlocks jump, glide, and combat cause I think it's a great way to retreat, in some of the platforming mech, uh, instances, Warlock is not the best choice. <laughs> Controlling that glide can be a pain. I feel like I've died more times um, platforming than I have in combat, which is, you know, a little a little frustrating. And there are a few nits to be picked. This isn't uh, a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, one thing that bothers me now that there is more um, dialogue and chatter in the games, I really feel like my guardian should talk like she'll nod along like someone asks her a question she'll like shrug or nod and then my ghost will chime in and I feel like that's annoying if I'm going to be interacting with people don't have me be a mute character unless I am mute you know for some reason like give me give me dialogue and, and, and I understand that that's expensive and you know voice recording is hard but just do like a man and a woman and then digitize one to you know, have it just change them I don't know, just some something it doesn't need to be. T- I don't need tons of different voice options that I can pick from just a couple a man and a woman, right to, to pick which, which character you're going with and run with that. And she doesn't need to have tons of, of lines. But if someone is talking right to you, it's weird when she just sits there with a smile and nods. And then my ghost chimes in with the answer like give give me some give me some dialogue as well. Um, also I think it can be a little clearer about what happens when you are playing with other people. I've had a great time, you know, squatting up, getting my fire team going and and playing with listeners. And Jeff and I tried to play. We had some mic problems. Hopefully we can work it out uh, going forward. Maybe we've already resolved it. I think, I think he got his mic good, so he should be good. Um, but it's really fun. You know, this game is really fun to play with people and, and the combat strategies you can have. Um, it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun. But these are things that I just don't know I haven't looked into yet. But let's say I'm fire fireteamed with people that are leveled up way ahead of me and I do a story mission that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, can I do that? Or when I do it and complete it, then when I get to that point in the story in my game, does it say I've already done that? Um, and I, I, this is me. I haven't experimented with that yet or, or you know, done the research to look up the answer. Maybe it won't let us It say, like, hey, that activity is not available to you. I don't know, but I wish that it surfaced some of that stuff a little more so, like what happens. When I was playing with some people earlier, it's like I could see an adventure beacon, but they couldn't see it because they had already done it. But when I saw it, and then we, then they could do it, and then they got loot from it. And then I couldn't see an adventure that they had, and I also couldn't see the... Fast travel to the location that was by the adventure because I had't unlocked that part, so if we wanted to do that, we had to you know run across the map the whole way to get there, which would have taken a long time. So there are some like ease of use to style things for um for the game when you're fire teamed up with people that are aren't exact in the exact same place as you that I think could be simplified. I feel like a lot of the the fire team stuff works the best if you are progressing through the story or leveling kind of at the same rate. And or then you're at the end game stuff and you're doing strikes and nightfall and raid and stuff because then it doesn't matter as much right you're just kind of grinding for gear and doing those those experiences over and over and also I didn't want to end this without talking about the um, <laughs> you know the the shader issue the shader controversy and um, I think anytime you introduce you know real world money for single use items in game and then also the idea that some what is it the clothing or some perks you can you know spend real money on things that actually also then unlike the shaders change your attributes in game um it's hard and it's frustrating and i don't want to write it off and be like well some games do it way worse than this and this isn't that this is what games are these days and all that is true there are people games that are worse offenders and this is kind of how games are these days but i still think it's frustrating and i think I think that if you push anyone on the issue, when push comes to shove, no one would argue that real money microtransactions or whatever make the game better and like the actual gameplay better. And I understand from a business perspective, they might be necessary, but I don't think they make the gaming experience any better. And anything that pulls away from that, that actual gaming experience, um, it's frustrating. And I I understand kind of an argument for one use shaders, and that it get, then gives you another carrot on the end of the stick to go out and grind for, to get more shaders, to experiment with things. I I kind of understand that. But when you throw in that you can spend real money to get more, then I don't think that, that works. I don't think that argument works. Then, like, well, it's a carrot to spend one more money. Um, and that is frustrating. If anyone out there, dev or otherwise, wants to talk about why real-world microtransactions actually make gameplay better. I'd love to hear it because I could very easily be wrong, but I don't, I don't think they do. And even if it's like the pay five bucks to unlock every feature in this game, you know, it's gamers are busy. Well, then I shouldn't have to pay five bucks. Like that feature should be available for everybody, right? Like in rock band, you should just go in and turn on unlock all songs and it shouldn't have to be $5 to do that. If that's your argument that there's a gameplay reason for wanting it to have it in there, then it shouldn't cost me additional money. And again, I'm leaving out all of the business realities about games are expensive, monetizing things. I don't think, it, well, people like spending real money. We we found that people like spending real money to get these trinkets to do that. No, 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 no. I'm talking from a gameplay perspective. When you introduce that stuff, it makes the game worse. I'm happy to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. You can always email me, christian.spicer at gmail.com. I'd love to have a civil discussion about it. Maybe we can pull it onto this show as well. But yeah, where I am in Destiny Two, I'm I'm really really loving it. I'm playing on PS4. I, it looks beautiful. It sounds great. It feels good. Um, I think the characters are really cool. I have a video on my YouTube um, about why the the beta got me excited for the story in Destiny Two and the kind of the the groundwork that they were laying with the characters and the story that they were going to telling going to be telling uh, was hopefully something that would live up to what happens in that Homecoming mission. And so far. I think they're doing it. So you can find that video on my YouTube if you want, Christian Spicer 713. Check that out. And my streams of the game, all that good stuff. Uh, When I'm not playing the game, I'm thinking about playing the game. So I think that's a great sign. Hopefully you're loving it as well and you're having a great experience with it. And um, if you've ever been curious what my other podcast, At Least 20 More Minutes, is like, it's kind of like this. (laughs) It's not always about video games but it is me talking. So if you like this, you can check that out at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. In the past two weeks episodes, you can listen to for free also because I was encouraging people to uh, spend their disposable income on hurricane Harvey relief. And it looks like we might get to do another round of charity raising again because stay safe, Florida, right? As I'm recording this, it looks like it's Florida. Stay, stay safe. And thank you to everyone for the Twitch prime subs. I will be going into my Twitch dashboard and seeing how much money I get to donate. Uh, I'll do that, and I will post it on Twitter, so you will see. I will post the receipts. I'm not trying to hide the ball here. I just haven't done it yet. And then everybody that bought my albums, Moment in Time, and We're All Gonna Die, it takes me a little while to get the iTunes sales reports. But as soon as I get that, I will very publicly show uh, the proceeds from that and what I am donating as well. So Twitter is the easiest way to see that at Spicer. Jeff, thanks for including this on the episode. Hopefully I didn't repeat too much of what you guys already said. Love you guys. Uh, Yeah, the way I sound off on at least 20 more minutes. Thanks for being here. I love you, and I appreciate you.